Oh, Crossing family, it is so good to be with you. If you're thankful for Jesus, if you're thankful to be at church today, can you put a little hands together? Thankful, thankful, thankful. Ma'am, today we are starting a brand new Christmas series called In the Middle of the Mess. And for those of you who are new to the crossing or new to the crossing because you haven't been around for a long time, I am so glad that you are here and I believe that this Christmas series is gonna be incredibly meaningful for your life. And I'm gonna encourage you to be a part of this series every single week and especially during our Christmas Eve services. And if you haven't found the service that you're attending and found some people to come with you, I wanna encourage you to do that. How many of you guys know that life can get a little messy. Yeah, and uh, how many of you know that sometimes the reason life is a little bit messy is because of family? Yeah. Uh, you guys have heard about the Hensel Thanksgiving. Some of you, maybe you're new to the cross and you don't know about the, the requirements. When you become a Hensel, you will never eat turkey with your family again because Thanksgiving belongs to the Hensels. And in trade, you get every other holiday with your family. You get Labor Day, Memorial Day, Flag Day, which is a big one, that's June 14th. You get uh, July 4th, if you wanna get together and let off fireworks, do that with your other family. You get Christmas, Valentine's Day, however you want it, but Thanksgiving belongs to the Hensels. And you'll never see your family again on Thanksgiving Day. And so they all come in and we hang out at my parents' house and it's always a mess. Let me kind of walk you through a little bit of our mess. This is how it starts. These are two briskets, 12 racks of ribs, three turkeys, and 120 pieces of chicken. Um, we needed something to cook it on, so this is dad uh, getting the grill out, or the, the smoker. Uh, 640 pounds, so we couldn't carry it, so we had to get the tractor out and assemble it. It's a job on top of a job. Uh, then the boys spend their time. This is Maddox and Zane and our golden dummy. Um, and he, uh, then the rest of the friends show up, and they ride their four-wheelers. And then Monday night, we, uh, we had brisket, which was delicious. Uh, it is every year. We're super thankful to God for that. Then uh, you have to start Monday night. You have to start the marinating process on the ribs. So you, uh, you start marinating the 12 racks of ribs and apple juice, and that's delicious. And then you have to assemble a, a team of people to actually make all 12 racks of ribs exactly the way they're supposed to because you don't want them to take a lot of time you know, out of the smoker. So then you load them back into the smoker, game on. Um, we had to get a bigger grill because the one we had last year didn't work. Then uh, we had three turkeys. Now you'll uh, want to remember this for next year, for those of you who are planning on doing turkeys, all the recipes for uh, how you're supposed to do a turkey, whether you're gonna do it in the oven, do it in a smoker, do it in a fryer, all of them will give you like a, hey, you're gonna want like a 10 to 12 pound bird. And you're gonna wanna remember that, otherwise you'll do what I did, which is forget that key uh, thing that about 10 to 12 pound birds is what you're aiming for, because uh, this one was 16 pounds, this one was 17 pounds, and this one was 21 or 22 pounds, which will drastically change your cook time. And uh, you'll wanna have that dialed in. So then, this is all the people preparing all the sides because the men take care of the meat. And then, uh, okay, let me talk to you a little bit about here. Um, so this one was the smoked, or the fried one, delicious. Uh, this one up here, uh, smoked one, also delicious. But um, 
The one that's basically almost gone already is the smoked fried one. And after first service, I've had multiple people come up and they've given their life to Jesus just because of what I'm about ready to tell you. Uh, you're gonna wanna put the turkey on the smoker at 250 for about three, three and a half hours. Let it get all that smoke flavor in there and then drop it into the fryer and fry it the rest of the way until it cries out to Jesus Christ as its Lord and Savior. Then you pull it out of the grave, you put it on the plate and you eat it. Listen, um, it's good on a level you can't. Anyhow, I don't just preach, folks. Uh, then let's go to the next thing. Uh, here's the problem. Uh, there's not enough room in the house for me. Like Joseph and Mary, there's no room in the inn. And so this is where I stayed at my parents' house. I don't, you know, I don't need plumbing. I don't need air conditioning or heat. Actually, I did need heat. Um, you'll notice something. This, this tent is from 60 years ago. Um, it's not, uh, it's got a lot of holes in it. Uh, you'll be looking, Clayton, it doesn't look like there's a door. There isn't. There's a screen, which, you know, in the middle of the night when it's 28 degrees and windy, um, makes it a little chilly. So we did put, uh, so here's the picture inside. This is uh, me and the golden dummy. And um, I had a person who would spend a night with me one night, and then they never came back. Andre spent the night, Ben spent the night. Maddox spent a couple nights, and Shug did, but Maddox would take my spot. And there wasn't enough room on the cot for both of us. Dad said um, that the, this was, the wood-burning stove was uh, brand new, and he said, don't overload it with wood because it could get too hot and it could get dangerous. He doesn't know what he's talking about because you can turn that baby into a locomotive. Um, <laughs> that is not a reflection. That is the fire burning its way through the metal. It got... And the reason why is in this tent, it would be so hot you'd want to be in your underwear. And then it would become so cold you'd have icicles in your armpits. And so you had to, you had to hedge your bet towards the heat. That was my Thanksgiving, and it was a mess. And you guys know this. Sometimes things in life do not go as planned. How many of you have had things in your life not go as planned? Oh, you're going to love this sermon. However... The choices that we make in the middle of the mess can make all the difference. The choices that you and I make in the middle of the mess can make all the difference. I want to welcome those of you joining from all of our different locations, those of you watching online and inside. I am so glad that you are here. And my hope is that during this series, as you participate and fully engage, that you will make the right choice in the middle of your mess and see how God will use it for his glory. You see, the arrival of Jesus was anticipated, but it was unexpected. Far from the beautiful, peaceful nativity, the calm, clear nights depicted on Christmas cards and in Christmas carols, the arrival of Jesus into this world was incredibly messy. And it's in the middle of this mess that we will see people making a choice that made all the difference. You have Joseph and Mary, the wise men, the shepherds. They all had choices to make. And the choices that you and I make in the middle of our mess could very well help bring Jesus into the world of those we love. Take Joseph for an example. Everyone wants to talk about Mary. Everyone wants to talk about the angels and the wise men and the shepherds. But not a whole lot of time is spent talking about Joseph. And I want you to notice this, that in the middle of the mess, Joseph chooses 
to trust. Today, I want us to spend some time in Joseph's Carhartts. I say Carhartts because Joseph was a working class man. He was a carpenter, a, a stone mason. He had way more in common with factory workers and welders and construction workers than he did with insurance agents and loan officers and supply chain managers. This was a guy who put on work clothes because he wasn't trying to be fashionable. He actually had work that needed to get done. And we kind of capture pretty much the entire story of Joseph in, the first, or in a couple of verses in Matthew chapter one. Look what it says. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Imagine the mess that Joseph found himself in. Joseph is engaged. He has more than likely been working on building a room off the side of his father's house. Well, you know that, that how this comes about. Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. In my father's house are many rooms. What a man who was engaged would do is he would go to his father's house and he would add on, while they were engaged, a place for him and his family to dwell. So Joseph is working on this project. He's more than likely having his family watch him struggle as he tries to put everything in place and make it just right. Ladies, imagine for a second that your husband was in charge of decorating and making the place without any of your input. What a peaceful world that would be. He's fighting with his mom to make it just the way he wants it for Mary. And like all mother-in-laws, she has an opinion. Not just on how things are supposed to be placed, but she also has opinions about Mary. She's like a lot of moms. She's nervous about whether or not Mary will love Joseph the way Joseph deserves to be loved. We know that Joseph is a man of not much means. He's poor. We find out about his poverty or we get some insight into it when they show up at the consecration of Jesus in Jerusalem. Look what it says in Luke chapter two, verse 22. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. And you're all going, I don't understand. What makes them so poor? Well, that's why you have to go back to Leviticus. You know, the book that we like to skip over. You'll be amazed how many times the book that we don't want to read in the Old Testament is actually referenced 
in the New Testament. Look what it says all the way in Leviticus. When the days of her purification for a son or daughter are over, she is to bring to the priest at the entrance to the tent of meeting a year-old lamb for a burnt offering and a young pigeon or a dove for a sin offering. He shall offer them before the Lord to make atonement for her, and she will be ceremonial clean from her flow of blood. These are the regulations for the woman who gives birth to a boy or a girl. But if she cannot afford a lamb, she is to bring two doves or two young pigeons, one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering. In this way, the priest will make atonement for her, and she will be clean. So God has chosen Joseph who is a person who doesn't have a lot of financial margin, and he makes a big mess in his life. The second takeaway inside of here, this is just a little nugget for you. Did you notice what kind of sacrifice Mary offers? She offers a sin offering. This would go against the teaching that some of you may have grown up in, that Mary was without sin and perpetually without sin. Why would she be offering a sin offering if she had not sinned. So Joseph is poor. He's been working on building this room onto his parents' house. He's been navigating all the trials associated with it. And then Mary comes to him and she says, I'm pregnant. Now you guys have had somebody tell you that at some point in time. But imagine being uh, Joseph and hearing that. The logical question is, By who? And she says, God. And he goes, I get it, you know. God's the creator of all things, and we're all his children, but like, who's the father? God is. He has to choose that she is telling the truth. It takes an angel of the Lord to show up and convince him. Then he has to go back and tell his family. And let me ask you this question. How would you have handled that news? Like if after church today, you guys go home and someone tells you this story, are you going, oh, praise God. Right? Mary has way more in common with somebody who's mentally ill than someone who is highly favored. The natural conclusion is you're crazy. Takeaway number one, just because you're in a mess does not mean that you're doing anything wrong. Now, there's some of you, me too, that we're in messes because we've messed up. But it is incredibly possible for you to be in the middle of a mess, relationally, occupationally, financially, physically, spiritually, and not have done anything wrong. Some messes are not because of mess-ups. Well, there is chances for you and I to mess things up. Sometimes you can be in a mess and be right where God wants you. Maybe you're taking new ground and the terrain is unfamiliar. Maybe you find yourself in a mess because you're being pushed out of your spiritual comfort zone. You, You guys know this. Nobody grows in their comfort zone. Your comfort zone is kryptonite to your growth 
and faith in Christ Jesus. And when you choose to step out of your comfort zone, you're gonna make a bit of a mess. And when your comfort zone is a kryptonite to your faith, it keeps you from experiencing all that God has for you, you can be tempted, I wanna keep everything orderly and in its place. But when we step out in faith, we can create messes. You might be in a mess because you're doing something for God that you've never done before. You might be in a mess because there are things that are happening that are completely out of your control. Maybe it's at work. Uh, some of you, uh, we all found ourselves in a bit of a mess a couple years ago. Um, they gave it a name. Um, COVID, right? You see, we're like, oh, don't bring it up. Okay, you're starting to get the shakes again. Okay? Listen, uh, COVID was a gigantic mess. And it, it didn't happen because you're a bunch of sinners. It just happened. We found ourselves in a mess. Our sin didn't cause it, but we all had to deal with it. And Joseph, in the middle of the mess, chose to trust God. And when you find yourself in a mess, your decision should be to trust God as well. Because you trying to handle it, you trying to navigate it, you trying to push yourself through it, is rarely going to work. In fact, look back through your life. How effective has that been? The Bible says, tells us, don't lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he'll make your path straight. So when we try to trust ourselves to navigate the messes, we're gonna find ourselves in really bad spots. But the more rooted you are in God's word, the more you listen to the Holy Spirit, the more you trust in God's ways and God's purposes, the more rooted you will be, and the more rooted you are, the more you'll be able to handle the storms of life. Because you know this. Messes happen. Storms happen. In fact, Jesus tells us that storms will happen to you whether you follow him or not. For those of you who aren't uh, Jesus followers yet, you might be under the impression that if you say yes to Jesus, you won't have any more storms in your life. Let me tell you, not true. In fact, Jesus goes out of his way to say whether you trust him or you don't, storms are going to happen. Don't get mad at me, get mad at him. Look what he says. Luke chapter six, you can go home and read it for yourself. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I'll show you what they're like. So I'm gonna give you a preview, that's what Jesus is saying. If you don't wanna know what it's like for people who come to me, hear my words, and put them into practice, this is what their life is gonna look like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock when a flood came. Are you noticing that? It does not say floods don't show up at Christians' houses. Messes don't show up for people who believe in Jesus. He's not saying that. He's saying, check this out. When you're a Christian, you're still gonna have some storms. The torrent struck that house, but could not shake it because it was well built. Here's what he's saying. When you're a Christian and you trust 
in God. The storms are going to come, but you're going to survive. But here's what happens to people who don't do that. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice, here's what he's saying. You can come to church, listen to the sermon, raise your hand just as high as everybody else during worship, drink just as much communion juice as everybody else. But if you don't take the words of God and apply them in your life, this is what your life will look like. Who uh, does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. Another way of saying, hear my words and put them into practice, you could just sum it up into one word. Trust. That when you find yourself in a mess, you have to choose to trust God. You can show for all the church's services you want. You can give all the money you want, drink as much communion juice as you want, pray as long as you want, but storms are gonna show up in your life. Messes are going to happen. The truth of God's word is this. I'm not gonna keep storms from happening. I'm just gonna get you through the storms. How many of you have been through a storm and you're still standing? That's because you took God at his word. You put your trust in him, and when the storm was over, the winds can blow against your house, but it can't blow you over. The rain can fall on your house, but it's not getting in. The the waters can rise, but they're not sweeping you away. You know what happens? Is after you've been a Christian for a really long time, you just know that there's a storm, and you don't even bother to get an umbrella, right? Have you ever noticed that's how us Midwesterners are when it's raining out? Most of us, I'm not gonna make you raise your hand, most of us don't carry around umbrellas. Here's what I've noticed. The slower you walk, the more likely you are to have an umbrella. But most of us, we just get out of our car, and this is what we do. Now, I have a question for you. What is it about this part of our neck that's so important? That, like, we get out. Woo! We don't care about our hair, our makeup. We just are worried about this strip, which we don't even have a name for. We, don't even, we haven't even named that part of our neck. Because there's a front part, there's a side part of our neck, but we just, this unnamed part, we're just like, oh, it's storming out. It's not ready. Okay? But that's how we operate. We're so seasoned in the storm that we're just like, all right, I'm going through. And that is literally... What happens to us when we place our faith in Jesus? We already know we're going through, we're just gonna get wet. And some of you are going, if I start my relationship with Jesus, there won't be any storms. Oh, no, 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 it's gonna rain all the time when you're a Christian. The difference is, you're not going through the storm alone. And the difference is, you're going through the storm. It will happen to you, but it will not defeat you. If those of you who trust in the Lord will be standing after the storm. Takeaway number two. Just because you're trusting God does not mean that the road will be easy. Some of you are like, Clayton, I brought a friend to church this weekend and you are not doing a good sales pitch. (laughs) Listen, we're gonna read all the fine print, okay? Look at what had to happen in Joseph's life. Let's slow way down. 
Joseph denied his marital right and chose not to consummate his marriage. He put his sex drive on the altar. He's been building, imagine your honeymoon being at your parents' house. Joseph's a good Jewish boy. Hasn't had sex before he got married. He's been looking forward to this day. He's been adding a little extra insulation on the room. He's been doing double drywall and offsetting the screws. That was a joke for the construction workers in here, right? He's going, we're going with the rock wall insulation here. Oh, you're, oh, you're pregnant. Okay, well, I'm just not gonna have uh, sex with you until you've had the baby. Now, how long until you have? Nine months? God, why can't you make babies in like nine hours? Why nine months? Nine months? <sighs> Crazy, isn't it? Joseph put his sex drive on the altar. Think about how much pain and sorrow has happened in our world because people cannot do the same. They can't surrender their sex drive to Jesus. He denied his right to a divorce. He said, I guess I'm going to stay with the person that everybody thinks is crazy. He had to lay that on the altar as well. He gave up his right to name his child. He put that on the altar as well. The house, the room that he's been building, and he couldn't wait to bring his family there and let them spend time in it, he doesn't get to do that either. He's told that he has to go to Bethlehem, 70 miles away, and then he gets to come back 70 miles, and then Herod wants to kill all the babies in the area, so he has to leave and go to Egypt, 100 miles. This isn't in a car. This isn't in a Tesla where you're looking for a place to fill out. No, he's got to walk there. He's got to live as a refugee, away from his family, away from his friends, away from the house that he built. Here's Joseph following God, doing what he said, trusting him, and none of it's easy. But it was the right thing to do. If you think that following Jesus is going to be easy, it's not. Some of you, you know, haven't started a relationship with Jesus yet. You're like, well, how hard can it be? Let me just give one of them. Love your enemies. What? Yeah. Like, but Clayton, I have an ex-wife. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's just one of the things that God calls us to. The life that God calls us to is not an easy life. It's just the best life. Trusting in God for Joseph wasn't the easy thing. It was the right thing. Takeaway number three. Just because you're in a mess does not mean that God is not at work. We all know this story. You have heard this story for as many years as, or as many times as you are old. We know this story. We know these stories front and back. We've heard a version of it every year that we've been alive. However, what would it have been like to walk through this story in first person viewer mode? I mean, we're so used to seeing it through the rearview mirror. But what would it have been like for Joseph going through this in the windshield? You see, we see God using Joseph to provide and protect and care for a vulnerable woman and a baby. We see God using Joseph to protect 
the Savior of the world in his infancy. But hear me, the same is true for us today. That when we choose to trust God, he uses it to bring Jesus into the world of those we love. Joseph chose to trust God. And not only was he able to see a miracle take place, he was able to be part of the miracle. And I wonder how many times you and I have missed out on a powerful experience with God, an answer to a prayer that we prayed to God because we chose to walk away right before God showed off. I wonder how many times we've been in the middle of a mess and God was about ready to make a way and we chose not to trust. I wonder how many times we've been so close to seeing a miracle, so close to being a part of a miracle, but we chose to trust in our own ways. Here is what God is inviting us to. To trust him and let him deal with the consequences. He's asking you and me, when we find ourselves in a mess, not to try and handle it, not to try and push through it, not to try and sort it out. He's asking us to trust him. And when you choose to trust God, it makes all the difference. And I'm hoping that you guys will do what Joseph did. Joseph chose to trust God and it made all the difference. And I want us to do the same. We're moving to a time of decision. So there's some of you in here today, you are in a mess. And this mess is sin. This isn't the kind of mess that Joseph was in. Joseph hadn't done anything wrong. But the mess that you're in is 100% because of you. We have sinned. We fall short of God. We have made a mess. And some of you, you've been trying to fix it your own way for a really long time. Some of you, you've tried to ignore it, thinking it'll go away, but it doesn't. You've tried to hide it, but it keeps showing back up. You tried to swallow it. You've tried to drink your way through it, but the mess remains. This is a mess that you can't fix. But here's Jesus' promise. Jesus says, bring the mess to me. And I know that that sounds crazy to you. Why would God want your mess? Why would God want the worst of you? Because our God is so good. It's the same kind of God who would send his son to earth for us. And he's looking at you and he's going, when are you, when are you gonna just give that to me? When are you gonna take all the mess ups, all the mistakes, the things that you hide from everybody else around you, when are you gonna give it to me? And if you would place your mess, more than that, your life in his hands, the Bible tells us at least two things. One, that when you put your life in his hands, he promises that he will never let go. If you are not close with God today, 
I can promise you it wasn't him who walked away. If you're not close with God today, I can tell you he is not the one who let go because he will never let go. The second promise is, is that he will give us a new life, a new heart, a new spirit. So if you're here today and you don't want to have to navigate the mess by yourself anymore, if you're here today and you want to experience forgiveness and love, if you want to be made new, if you want your life in his hands, you can have it. You can start an intimate, personal relationship with Jesus Christ today. And in just a few moments, the people around you, some of them are gonna come up to the steps and pray, and some of them are gonna raise their hands and lift their voices and sing. But I wanna encourage you to walk right over there by that baptistry, and somebody would meet you and would love an opportunity to talk with you about how to start that relationship with Jesus. But to the rest of you in the room, more than likely, there's a mess that you've been avoiding. There's a thing that God's calling you to that you just don't want to do. And he keeps bringing it up and you keep sidestepping it because you don't want the mess. You don't want the drama. It's just easier to ignore it than to have to trust God through it. And God is always at work and he's always calling us to stuff and Maybe you've been hearing it over and over and over again for a long period of time and you've just been avoiding the very thing that God is calling you to. But today, I wanna challenge you to take the very step that you know you've been putting off. A while back, uh, maybe like six, seven weeks ago, uh, it was just a normal day, came home, hanging out at the house, get the kids tucked in and I sit down and Jennifer and I always kind of sit down and hang out for a little bit every night before we go to bed. And, and she goes, hey, so I got a call today about um, uh, uh, taking care of a baby and would you be willing to like, could we just foster a baby for like, you know, three to six months? And I'm like, that is not how I saw tonight panning out. <laughs> right? And uh, this is not ideal timing. Christmas is crazy busy. We've got a bunch of different trips we've got to navigate. And we're in the middle of redoing uh, our house. And so like there's dust and dirt and stuff everywhere. And we're showering on two different floors and I'm a crank. No, that's a, you know, this could be pretty messy. So we said, yeah, right? Now, hold on, stop, 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 stop. We didn't end up, they ended up not needing us, so we didn't do anything special, so I don't want you guys to go, this guy's awesome. No, okay, hear me. I just know that we knew it was gonna be messy and we had to make a decision about whether or not we were gonna be trusting God in the middle of a mess. Now, that was me saying yes to that, but you need a, another one. So uh, someone made me incredibly angry about four years ago angry at a level that I have never been to before. And I, every time I see him, I try to pray for him. I drive by it all the time. I see it from my house. It just eats me. And you'd be amazed that a person who loves God can have that big of a dark spot in their heart. Because boy, it was there. And, um, 
I would say for the last six months, I've been feeling God on a regular basis tell me that I'm supposed to do something for them. And I come to invitation time just like you do. And I feel like I'm supposed to do something and then boy do I wiggle, right? Found out that they uh, are navigating cancer. And I feel, and I know that uh, one of them uh, for sure uh, has communicated that they do not have a relationship with Jesus. And I'm going, how do, I, how do I help rewrite that story? And so I feel like clear as all get out, I'm supposed to uh, give them a significant amount of money to help them navigate whatever you know, cancer costs are associated. And then it's messy. Like, do you give them a check? And if they hate you still, and they don't cash it, and then you close the account, then years from now they do find it, they do cash it, and the check's kind of like, oh, that was just like the world's greatest prank from a pastor. Uh, a check to an account that doesn't exist. Like, okay, well then do you, give them, do you give them cash? And then what if they just throw the card away and they don't, like it was messy. And so I'm using those logistical concerns to keep me from being obedient. Tracking. And I wonder, like what if God is asking me to just be obedient and maybe there'll be a miracle? Like what happens if they show up in this room because the person that can't stand them wrote them a card? What if our generosity leads to them being curious about spirituality? So yesterday, I'm trying to write sermons on the wise men. I'm trying to get stuff done and I just cannot get a single thing done because I preached this sermon on Thursday, which is the dumbest idea ever. Why do we have Thursday church? Because I'm going, how can I land the plane on Thursday knowing the step that I've been putting off for months and then ask the people in our church to take the step that they've been putting off? So so yesterday, I can't get anything done. And I'm like, I'm finally going to do the thing that I've been putting off. And then I give it to the boys and I send them down the street to give it to them. And the only reason I'm telling you is I don't know what God's going to do. I just know that I'm supposed to do what he called me to do. And I'm sure you have an area of your life too that you need to trust him in. And what I'm choosing to believe is that you won't regret it. Would you stand with me? God, only you know what kind of ground could be taken in our hearts, in our lives, in our families, in our communities. Only you know. But God, we want you to write a better story. God, we want you to write a story in our lives that shows a watching world that you're still moving, that you're still worthy to be trusted and followed and obeyed. And so God, here we are, messed up, broken people, asking you to give us the strength and the courage to trust you again. Whether it's big or small, God, give every person in here and watching online the courage to trust you again. The courage to trust you and to leave the consequences up to you. In your name I pray, amen.